Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it's Amy. Hey, Amy, it's Mary Harris. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Last week, I called up Amy Walter. She's the national editor of the Cook Political Report and a host of the public radio show, The Takeaway. And I called her up because I kind of needed a pep talk. So midterms for you, is this like Christmas? Like, what is this in your your mind? uh, It is better than Christmas. (laughs) It's better than Christmas. I think you're the only American to say that right now. I know. I, I can't even tell you how excited I am. I wanted to feel some of Amy's excitement. With one day to go before the midterm election, everyone's hot takes seem like warmed-over leftovers. I'm ready for it to be over. But Amy is all anticipation. Just imagine me. What I'm looking at right now is a tree, and underneath it are hundreds of boxes with little bows on them and cards that say, you know, California 48, Missouri Senate. And I get to open them very soon. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Today, a dose of pre-midterm enthusiasm from one of the most enthusiastic journalists on the beat. You may look at the polls and think it's impossible to predict what the story of this election is going to be. But Amy Walter says she can tell us the story of tomorrow night right now. She just needs voters like you and me to supply the ending. So stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so picture Amy Walter right now. This is basically her night before Christmas. She's looking under the tree, picking up boxes one by one and shaking them. And she has this encyclopedic political knowledge, especially when it comes to Congress. In my first iteration at the Cook Political Report, I was the House editor. And so I have a soft spot and will always have a soft spot for House candidates and House races. I just find them fascinating. And they're a great way to understand America, I think, because these districts are, you know, they're just smaller and they're easier to sort of get your arms around one congressional district than an entire state, right? You can't just make sort of blanket statement about one state. It has multiple regions, all kinds of diversity throughout it. These congressional districts each one of them can tell you a very different story about that state. And so those are the ones that I follow much more closely than any of the senator or governor's races. And there are dozens of those this year, right? Right. I look at the districts that 
say, Mitt Romney carried back in 2012, right? These sort of traditional, affluent, suburban Republican districts, Orange County, California, Kansas City, Northern Virginia, suburban New Jersey, and where Hillary Clinton won in 2016. In the suburbs. In the suburbs. Educated, mostly white, not very diverse districts where voters kind of in their DNA are Republican, but they're not Trump Republicans, right? Hmm. So to me, that's a fascinating segment of the election, of the electorate. And then there are the districts that I'm watching that Barack Obama won, but Trump won. Hmm. This is in some of the more rural parts of the country, like in Maine, in Iowa. And again, I think that if you if you're looking to sort of understand, well, who was it that what is the message that voters are are sending, right? What is the message of every election? Obviously, it's a referendum on the president. But I think if it is overwhelming that it's really affluent suburban voters who shifted to Democrats, then that tells you one story. If it's a more broad coalition, right? If Democrats win seats in more rural areas, in blue-collar areas that Obama had once carried, in upscale suburban neighborhoods. Well, that says that the the sort of backlash to Trump is more than just a suburban thing, right? It's more than just one kind of person or one kind of voter. People who um, read the New York Times or the Washington exactly, Post. Exactly. Or people who, I mean, you know, my colleague David Wasserman has joked that, you know, the most difficult districts right now for Republicans to hold are ones where uh, the Whole Foods is within 15 miles of most everybody who lives in that district. Um <laughs> Here's what Amy's on the lookout for. Which changes are going to last? Those rural districts that went blue for Obama and red for Trump, could they flip back? Those suburbs that went red for Romney and blue for Hillary, are they going to stay that way? She wants to see if she can tell the difference between a real voter realignment and a one-time voter reaction. You know, over time, I did this really early in 2017 to look at districts that over the last eight years or so, had been moving more Dem or more Republican, even just slightly, right, where you can actually see some, some, some clear patterns. But it's consistent over time. And consistent, right? So it's not really about Hillary. It's not really about Trump. It wasn't really about Obama. And we've known now for some time that these inner ring suburbs, you know, the suburbs that are closest to a, a major metropolitan area, have been moving more Democratic over the years. The question is, did, did Trump supercharge that? And has Trump permanently pushed these voters into a Democratic camp? Or is this this is a part of the country that is moving Democratic, but they're not really Dems? They're not full in the de- de- Democrats can't really count them as their core supporters. And when 2020 comes around and Democrats have a nominee, right, when it's no longer just about Trump, when it's Okay. What are you doing? Are they going to still exactly? So that's what I'm watching for. And then the realignment in the less urban areas, right? We saw that. We spent a lot of time talking about that after 2016, rural America, a place where, you know, it's been Democrats, it's been a long time since Democrats won rural areas. But it's one thing to not win, it's another thing to get crushed. It sounds like you're really looking at like two elections, one election that's suburban and one election that's rural. And what these two groups will tell you 
will really shape your understanding of how Americans are understanding Trump and then maybe just understanding themselves. Exactly. I do think that's a a great way to think about that. So Amy's looking carefully at these two elections, these two types of voters. Let's be clear, though. The voters Amy's looking at, they do share something. They're white. But over the last few decades, some of these white folks have done well, and some of them haven't. You know, I think a great place to look is is Texas. You know, if I had told anybody in and around Dallas or in and around Houston 10 years ago that Hillary Clinton was going to win two of the most affluent suburban districts in those cities, you would have been laughed out of the room. Um, But it was, I think, the reaction that these voters had to Trump's rhetoric. This is the, the parts of the country that are, again, they're some of the most affluent, uh, and they've gotten their affluence in part by a global economy. The other part of America is like, yeah, well, we saw what happened when you opened up the world, and guess what it meant? That my job went to Mexico. And it also meant that my right. neighborhood that I used to know, and I used to know all my neighbors, well, now I don't, and a lot of them don't speak English, and I don't feel like I know my own neighborhood. And so those are very two those are two very different reactions to a changing world and a changing America and that's a, a, a debate that we're going to continue to have even after this election. I don't think this election is going to going to say once and for all which way do Americans want to go? Because hmm. Americans want to go both ways. They we do just... want to go both ways. No matter what happens tomorrow, Amy sees this election as one about change. But change can be terrifying. In the last week, it's felt like the airwaves filled up with fear. In states with tight races, ads and robocalls played with racist tropes. I see that same potential in Stacey Abrams. Where others see a poor man's Aunt Jemima, I see someone white women can be tricked into voting for. Antonio Delgado would be fine in, in Los Angeles, maybe New York City. I don't think his values represent the community that I've known my whole life. America cannot allow this invasion. The migrant caravan must be stopped. Well, hello there. I is the Negro Andrew Gillum. And I'll be asking you to make me governor of this here state of Florida. So tomorrow, when they get into those voting booths, white Americans are going to be choosing who they are, who they want to be, and what they want change to look like. I couldn't help but ask Amy for a prediction on how the story will end. Like a lot of people, she says it looks like the Democrats should win the House and the Republicans could pick up a couple of seats in the Senate. Can I ask you a question, though? How do we trust any of our feelings on what's going to happen on Tuesday, given how wrong we were last time? I do think a lot of what happened in 2016 was it was less about that the data was wrong, but that our interpretation of the data was the bad part. 538, the the Nate Silver folks were saying, and Hillary Clinton has a 70 something percent chance of winning. Now, that sure sounds like a big number, right? So when somebody tells you there's 70 percent chance of something happening and then it doesn't, that looks like a big fail. As opposed to saying, well, what are the odds that today a 30 percent chance of something happening will happen to you? It might, right? I mean, 
And I said to you, there's a 30% chance that you're going to drop your phone and it's going to crack open and it's going to be inoperable. You'd be like, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. But when we said there's a 30% chance that Donald Trump could win, I think people heard that as, oh, well, he can't win. We let it confirm our own biases. Right. Well, there's only a 30% chance. They're kicking me out of my studio right now. Okay. Talk to you later. (laughs) Thank you so much. Sure. Bye. Bye. You can catch Amy Walter covering the midterms tomorrow night on PBS. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Before we go, I've got one more interview to get you revved up for the election tomorrow. We asked Slate writers for big ideas on election day. Dan Coyce delivered. My radical voting idea is that everyone who has kids should bring their kids with them to vote. You may have heard Dan on one of our other podcasts, Mom and Dad Are Fighting. And I think you can guess his argument here. Basically, taking your kid into the voting booth is a good way to model civic engagement. Dan says, sure, it's cute to take your kid into the voting booth. But his argument goes way beyond that. I actually absentee voted in this election because we're going to be gone on Election Day. And I brought my kids in to the Arlington County Courthouse, and they filled out forms along with me. And the voting people, like, gave them cute stickers. And then we went into the voting booths, and I told them all about who I was voting for and why. And then a poll worker had to come over and tell me that that's actually illegal because (laughs) there were other voters also surrounding me, and I was influencing their vote. Is this really, like, do people not bring their kids to vote? I just feel like I'm bringing my kids to vote out of convenience. Like, oh, I don't have anything or anywhere else to put you right now. Guess you're I think voting. a lot of people end up not doing it because voting, you know, is something they do on their way to work and they have their kid in daycare uh, or for many other sort of practical reasons. And probably there are people who just sort of feel like, ugh, voting is like a hassle. What if there's a line? I'm just going to like not even worry about it. But bringing them is like a great reminder to them that this is like an obligation and right and privilege that we all have. And you get a sticker at the end. Have they asked you any questions when you're in there? They ask a million questions, forcing them to be in this place where people are making decisions that seem very adult and very serious to them really tends to engage them, at least engage my kids. Like, they want to know, what is this ballot initiative? What does it mean? And then I say, boy, I don't know. Let me look it up on the Internet. And then we look it up on the Internet together. So it actually kind of helps you learn more. Because I have I know that I've been in the booth before and I've been like, I don't know what that is. Oh, well. But then when you're forced to... <laughs> confront it with a kid. Yeah. It's like it shames you into knowing. Right. Kids are like our our, our little consciences in so many ways, right? And sometimes we need a little conscience boost to do our civic duty properly. Maybe if you don't have kids, you should still bring a kid. My strong feeling is that you should find a kid. I mean, the kid of a friend or the kid of a neighbor or just a kid you find on the street. (laughs) (laughs) Dan Coyce with his big idea, bring your kid or really any kid to the poll with you this year. If you didn't get a chance to do it this year, do it next time. Thank you so much. Thanks. That's the show. 
What Next is Slate Magazine's experiment with a daily news podcast. We're going to be piloting this show for a couple more weeks. Then we're going to go on a little break before launching full force in January. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts right now, or you can email us your feedback so we can get even better. We're at whatnextatslate.com. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson and Jason DeLeon. Our engineer is Terrence Bernardo. By the time we talk tomorrow, hopefully you will have voted. Talk to you then. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.